This week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. And I and I have to say, Haley took Ramaswamy over her knee and paddled his little behind that entire night. And I, I'm here for it. I thought that was terrific. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Unlikable, unelectable, unwatchable. This week on Flyover Country, Scott Jennings, Jared Crawford, Kevin Grout is here. Scott joining us just off the set at CNN. Let's get right to the instant analysis, Scott. We were reading your L.A. Times piece of just a horrible night for the Republican Party and those candidates at the uh, Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California. Yeah, I'm in uh, Washington uh, today, and uh, after being in New York last night for coverage and have had a, you know 24 hours to think about it, I, d- I did write some instant reaction, and unwatchable was the word I used, and I still feel that way. I mean, I, I thought the whole thing was set up poorly. I thought the questions were weird. I thought the, the construct of just constantly trying to pit these people against each other, the crosstalk, you know, it, 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 n- none of it helped anybody, in my opinion. Now, I think DeSantis probably won the debate if you have to pick a winner. But did anything change in the dynamics of the race? No, I don't think so. And Trump, you know, has now come out and said, and you know, he thinks the rest of the debate should be canceled. So I don't I don't know what they're going to do for the next one. And I don't know if, if there's time to, like, reinvent the wheel here in multi-candidate debate. I just know this format sucks. <laughs> and it, it's, it doesn't help do anything for anybody. Uh, and, and, in fact, I think it, it's designed to hurt people and – I don't know. It just it strikes me that we've th- this format has run its course, in my opinion. Yeah, I can't imagine any of the candidates even walked off the stage last night thinking they did well. I mean, even Nikki Haley, who I think had some of the best zingers of the night and, you know, got got some Twitter plaudits for telling Vivek that he's not very smart. I mean, even does she think that she moved the needle? I, I can't imagine so, especially once the poll came out today, Scott, that you referenced that uh, DeSantis won the debate. But it The numbers pretty much seem exactly the same that they were last time. One thing I saw interesting going into the debate is that they kept or it was was so cheap to buy a 30 second ad spot in the debate. They weren't expecting anybody to watch. It was like historically Mm. low to purchase advertising during the debate because they knew what was going to happen. I thought I thought that um, this the constant setting people up to create bickering, you know, when they when they prodded, for instance, Tim Scott to attack Nikki Haley. Well, tell Nikki Haley why you'd be better. This is constant setting. And obviously Tim Scott is not an angry or confrontational type of candidate. That's not his brand, nor, you know, should he give into that? But then he finally relented and did it and threw up some half-hearted attacks against her, including going to the well on a debunked New York Times story about the curtains Uh. that were put into the UN ambassador. It was so disappointing because – I, I know – I mean, we've, we've had Tim Scott on the pod. We've observed Tim Scott. We all, all love Tim Scott. And to watch him get baited and goaded into – and descending into that sort of crap, I just – he shouldn't have done it. Honestly, the right answer to that question was, hey, look, I like Nikki Haley. She appointed me to the Senate. We're friends. Either of us would be better than Joe Biden. Why don't we talk about some issues here that matter to people? That would have been a better move for him than descending into what he did. And honestly, I I didn't like it that he went after Ron DeSantis again on the curriculum stuff because, because I thought, uh, so, you know, siding with Kamala Harris and all that to me, I didn't like it when he did it at the time. 
He's entitled to his opinion, but the way they're portraying that curriculum issue is just not true. You oppose, you oppose to these new standards. What is your message for Governor DeSantis? There, there is not, there is not a redeeming quality in slavery. He and Kamala should have just taken the one sentence out. America has suffered because of slavery. But we've overcome that. We are the greatest nation on earth because we faced our demons in the mirror and made a decision. So often we think that all the issues, you talked about crime and education and health care, we always think that those issues go back to slavery. Here's the challenge though. Black families survived slavery. We survived poll taxes and literacy tests. We survived discrimination being woven into the laws of our country. What was hard to survive was Johnson's Great Society, where they decided to put money, where they decided to take the black father out of the household to get a check in the mail, and you can now measure that in unemployment, in crime, in devastation. If you want to restore hope, you've got to restore the family, restore capitalism, and put Americans back at work together as one American family. And so I, I just, I don't know, it, that, that stuff bothers me, and I wish they wouldn't take the bait on it. Yeah, I, I think sort of all around agree here. Unwatchable. Wasn't that exciting? I thought the questions weren't that good. I even thought the like actual setup, like the lighting and stuff didn't look that great yeah. either. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Um, oh, let, let me, let me cor- comment on that, Jared, because, yeah. let, let me, yeah. because, because the way the Reagan library, that, that whole back wall is a window. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, if anyone has ever taken a photo <laughs> and someone <laughs> stands in front of a window, and it's light outside, you know what happens? They're backlit. And so that makes the front of it look dark. So they put all these people in front of this window and then the lighting in front was horrific. So it made DeSantis look bad. It made Pence look weird. It made Haley look weird. The whole, so the lighting and sort of the setup of it was bad. I thought the sound was weird. So I totally agree with you, Jared. The production values I thought were, were just bad. I mean, absolutely bad. And beyond that, as far as this being a time to maybe just, just crash this whole thing, two observations. One is just have one moderator. It's just too much for them to, to talk over each other in the first place. Yes. And then I can't understand yeah. two-thirds of them anyway. And if you have one with a foreign accent, that's fine, but don't have two. I mean, I, I saw Christy and Pence especially just trying to – they spent most of the time just like looking – very, you know, concertedly at trying to say, okay, what are you this saying? Is, this is Joe's boomer take today. No, it, well, it is. <laughs> no, I agree with Joe. I yeah. think Joe is right. I normally, I'm normally up for a good Joe fest, a Joe bashing <laughs> fest, but I, I think you're right. I first of all, Dana, who, as you all know, I adore. I felt like was just totally sidelined in the first hour. She yeah. got in the game in the second hour. But I thought the questions from Stewart and the Univision anchor were just weird. And also, I got the impression that Dana and the other two, like, they didn't know each other. Right. And they hadn't discussed what they were going to do. Right. They hadn't they hadn't talked amongst themselves about, okay, what's our strategy to make sure these issues get in at the top or we follow up on that? I, I thought the whole setup of the moderators was so disjointed and off-putting. Yep. And, of course, that then affects how the candidates perform. And yep. so, you know, they're at the mercy of how it's all set up that way. And I think that was a disservice to letting them put their best foot forward. And then beyond that, to your point, I actually think that the candidates themselves, 
you know, we talk about, of course, Donald Trump is the front runner here, and that's you know, that, that's the 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 elephant in the room that's not in the room. But beyond that, to your earlier point, Scott, about this whole juxtaposition, it's like they all wanted them to be Trump. It's like, hey, now you be Trump with this person. Now you be <laughs> no. I mean, this is it's time for us. Well, and, the, and the last group of people I just want to malign are the people in the audience. I don't want any audience members anymore either. I don't want. I want one moderator. <laughs> I want a studio. I want a studio uh, only. I want no people interrupting because then they have the people out in the. You know, they have seven different candidates, and then of course most people in the crowd, or at least a third of them, are for Trump. Who they're jeering over this or that. It's just it doesn't lead to anything. It doesn't lead. To, I mean, yeah. we don't. We didn't learn anything. All we got were. I, I'll say this: there is no one on that stage, including the moderators and the people in the background, that I liked more after the debate than going in. I liked all of them less. <laughs> what? What? What good is I that? Don't, I don't. I don't mind the idea of an audience, <laughs> as long as the audience isn't participating in the debate. And when they're clapping and cheering or booing, right, I, to me, dumb. it's like, hey. We've thrown you all in this coliseum. Enjoy. Yep. And that's not the purpose of a debate. The purpose of a debate is not to entertain the people who are sitting right in front of you. The purpose is to broadly communicate with the, you know, hopefully millions of people who are watching. And those two things are at odds with each other because what gets cheered or jeered in the room you know, might land totally differently to the studio audience. I mean, I don't know who's in that room exactly. But maybe it's not representative of the Republican Party at large. And so I I'm with you. I think if you can't get the audience to shut up, then just do it in a studio because it to me, it impacts the flow of the show. Scott, I also saw you made a, a really good point on Twitter about giving the candidates longer to speak. I think they got a minute to answer a question, then like 30 seconds for a rebuttal, which I guess is supposed to keep it moving, but they never really get to say anything. If you say border security, I can just like talk about platitudes about the border for 60 seconds without ever saying anything new or original. Um, and then, you know, Nikki Haley was in there. I think she hardly took a breath for 60 seconds because she was trying to pack so much into one answer. Um, giving, giving candidates a little bit more time to talk and making them talk for two minutes. Maybe you can actually see some difference between them. And I mean, I, at least the last debate, which I know we had a lot of criticisms of, we saw genuine disagreements within the Republican party on policy issues, which I don't really think we got that here. I think everybody on the stage was pretty much the same except for on curtains. Well, there, were, there is, were lots of opinions about curtains. Yeah. This, but this is the argument for having a smaller debate next time. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's just get this thing down to what it is. It's Haley or DeSantis trying to advance to take on the final boss. That, that's where we are at this point. If, if that, you know, if that construct even still exists, which I posited in my LA times column, that it, perhaps it doesn't, but if that's how you view it, that's where we are. Let's not have another debate with five or six or seven people up there. Let's just get this thing down to what's real. The only two serious people up there who have a chance, even if it's a small chance, are Haley and DeSantis. Everybody knows it. And so another debate, you know, where everybody's piling on and smacking around Ramaswamy, as pleasurable as that is for me, <laughs> by the way. And I, and I have to say, Haley took Ramaswamy over her knee and paddled his little behind that entire night. And I, I'm here for it. I thought that was terrific. Social media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Hmm. Because I can't believe you know, they hear that you've got a may. TikTok situation. What they're doing is. But like, you know, God love you, North Dakota governor. You know, it's over. Uh, Chris Christie, you know, it's over, man. I mean, like I, 
I don't know what to tell you. Mike Pence, you're a great American. It's not happening. Shouldn't we be focused on giving more time to the people who have a chance? I mean, I think, Kevin, that's what you're saying is if you're going to set this thing up in a substantive way, it mandates that you winnow this thing down and get the gadflies off the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, all of this was like perfectly encapsulated by the like survivor-esque question at the end uh, there. It was like, really, this is, you wrote this one down and like you had to get to it. It, it was just... Again, this sort of like pitting against each other. And then there was like the murmuring. It's like the whole, I, I hate the whole like put your hand up thing too. It's like, that's not a policy position. Like, the, you know, I, and so I just think when we have those things, especially with a bunch of people and nobody gets to explain their things and we're dealing with Chris Christie doing Donald Duck jokes, like we <laughs> are, we have gone too far. And Donald Trump should be here to answer for that, but he's not. And I want to look at that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching. Okay, and you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that. No one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. All right. I want to ask the governor. To- uh, the Nikki Haley sort of Billy Madison-esque moment was great. But even that, it was there wasn't many of those good back and forth because there was so much talking over each other too. Well, they all got to talk um, about who's sleeping with a teacher and that, that just made my just, skin crawl. Oh, yeah, so Mike, weird. Mike Pence I was, mean, golly, like, well, first of all, well, everybody's trying to be Trump, right? Yeah. Like, was it Christy who started it? Kind of like when he said that, by the way, he was like, well, Joe Biden sleeping with a member of the team. I thought, holy cow, what an accusation. To right. Well, then I remembered he's married yeah. to it. And so Dr. And Dr. Pence, Joe Biden. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. Then when Pence, like picked up on it and you could tell like, like five minutes later, <laughs> like the wheels were turning. Like, how can I make this into it? And he sort of made a joke about it, but man, I don't like Mike Pence is the last guy I need making horny jokes, you know, in the <laughs> middle of a debate, like honestly. So then <laughs> Scott, what do you think? Because the, the next debate on my radar, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in Miami, but is this Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis debate moderated, I think by Sean Hannity, is that at least going to be more interesting to watch? Oh, I think it'll be quite interesting to watch, and it, it actually will be a good chance for DeSantis to show people what uh, you know what he can do, and uh, and and not you know and not in the middle of a huge scrum. So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. And guys, I'm going to let you all go because I've been summoned into the studio by none other than the legend Wolf Blitzer. So let me go take care of that. You all finish the pod. <laughs> Come back if you can, Scott. If not. We'll take care of it. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I, I just want to say that Scott Jennings, Kevin Grout, and Jared Crawford, I think that you're all worthy to be here on the podcast with me. I, I, I this is this is my Vivek Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy. Oh, this is yeah. my this is my impersonation of him. I just want to say I'm gonna I'm gonna be very magnanimous that's, here and yeah. just say I think that that's all of you are just fine people. I was told Joe, I'm unlikable, so now I'm yeah. gonna say nice things. That's interesting, Joe, because last week weren't you saying we're all bought and paid for and shills <laughs> for whoever? And that's quite the uh, tone change from you. Well, I just I just want people to know that I'm not uh, put offish, and I'm not uh, egotistic, and I believe. Wait, I'm just listening. I'm just reading off my all the things that my <laughs> consultant said that I shouldn't be uh, my, this time uh, on the podcast. One of my favorite vignettes of of him last night was i am against tiktok i think it is a a feature of the communist party but i have a tiktok and i'm encouraging people i i want to be on tiktok because that's where the voters are but i want to kick them all off tiktok i i he he got some some well-deserved criticism for that but i think it left left 
left most people scratching their heads. Yeah, I, you know, with these and, you know, we're all in group chats together and with other people who always watch these things, even like my group chats, I even thought Twitter wasn't really like into it last night. And, and, you know, I think that's when you can tell there's just, there's not a lot of substance. There's not a lot of good points being made, Um, but not to like appearance shame, but I did see this one tweet that every time, you know, they do those ones where every time they get a thousand likes they'll you know increase the size of something and some guy kept doing that with vivek's hair and i don't know what's going on with his hair it's sort of it's like donald trump you don't know where it starts or ends and again i think that was just a sign of like there wasn't much substance there wasn't great and and like we say zingers but again like there's good comebacks there's good like tit for tats like on real things and I just felt like we didn't get any of that really last night. And uh, again, in turn, you end up with memes about uh, Ramaswamy's hair. <laughs> I'm showing Kevin in the studio here since you're remote. He reminds me of the alien from Mars Attacks. <laughs> I mean, he has a certain quality. Don't you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's that's just, him. Just Google Mars Attacks and look at the poster and you can <laughs> see if you agree with me. About well, uh, somebody Rumble said he's Slime. got like uh, Jimmy Neutron hair. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can see that too. It's just I, I don't, I don't. Know. All, all I, of the candidates kept trying to um, <laughs> because they were in the Reagan Library channel Ronald Reagan. I think some of the questions yeah. were about him too. But then when I think it was Dana Perino said, "I'm gonna shut off your mic, Doug Pergram or D- Doug um, Borgum." Borgum. Um, that would have been a perfect time for a Ronald Reagan joke. Exactly. I don't know. I, I, mean, <laughs> I paid for this microphone. Yeah, I, I don't know where he was on yeah. that. I, by the way, that microphone is at the Reagan Library uh, in the museum there. The, the microphone that he used at that mm. primary debate back oh. in 1976. I was alive for that. I remember that. <laughs> I wasn't. I was. A, I was a child, <laughs> but I did visit the library uh, about three years ago with my family. Went out there, and it, it is a beautiful place, by the way. And I hate to malign the uh, the Reagan Presidential Library uh, because it, even though it was a terrible place for a debate, it's a great place to visit. You can see Air Force One there, among many other things, and. Uh, you know the, the Berlin Wall and and uh, his legacy, but his legacy, Jared, is um, was pretty unapparent in that entire debate. I mean, there's really very little of the Republican Party, at least on display at his library, that resembles Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I mean, for better or for worse, right? I mean, I, I think this is the 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 Trump era, and again, a little bit more populist in some ways, and you're hearing some things or, or some policy positions that dare I say Reagan would be like rolling over in his grave or, you know, again, um, parties change and, and policy priorities change. That's, that's always happened. Um, you know, the, the one Reagan thing that I almost feel like the Democrats use this more than Republicans, the, like the 11th, you know, commandment of like, they shouldn't speak ill of another Republican that seems to have been totally thrown out the door though, which I don't love again, because it felt like last night there was more, and again, we, we, you know, bash Ramaswamy probably more than any other show that's published on the Internet. But it just feels <laughs> like sometimes they get the question and immediately turn their bodies to address somebody else as opposed to like addressing the American people. And I felt like there was so much of that last night. And again, this sort of like continuing to talk over each other. And again, the, the whole like, hey. I think Ramaswamy had a moment where he was like, look, we're the party that believes in freedom and capitalism like the other side's the bad guys i like those moments where it's like we all believe in these same things together we have certain policy differences but 
again, it just feels like there wasn't enough of that and so much attempts at tit for tat, but they're literally when they were speaking over each other, I don't, I literally didn't know what they were arguing about half the time because it was, you, you can't tell. And, and I don't know that that is very Reagan esque. And you couple that with the fact that Joe Biden is nonsensical. You're, you're, you're left with Donald Trump as somehow being the most articulate candidate left, which I, as you, you know how I feel about Donald Trump. Uh, I, I, but that said, the longer, if he would, if actually, if Donald Trump, this is, he couldn't do this, but if he would adopt the Rose Garden strategy or the basement strategy of Joe Biden and just go away and just say, I'm not Biden and I'm not these jokers, I, I think he actually might even win my vote. I mean, I mean, just, <laughs> just, I mean, now he can't do that, which is why there's, there's some chatter. Yes, Kevin. I, I don't know. I think, I mean, for the first two debates that he skipped, he did some counter programming. The first time he had an interview with Tucker Carlson, this time he was out talking to non-union auto or non-union manufacturing oh, this, workers. About union, auto workers. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a plant from what I understand makes parts for, um, uh, gas-powered vehicles. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as a result, we all know that some of the background of the even the UAW is very upset with the push toward electrification because it takes far fewer workers to make an EV right. than it does to make a traditionally powered vehicle. So Donald Trump is out there doing things. I mean, he's not getting nearly the same amount of attention or coverage, but maybe he's doing that. Maybe this is his um, basement strategy. He doesn't need to be in the middle of the fray. He's mm-hmm. going to let them shout and bicker, and then everyone decide that that's boring and then get back to it himself. I mean, his, his next movie called for all the d- other debates to be canceled. It sounds like, you know, from what's I agree said, with what that. you guys are saying, yeah, maybe, a, maybe he's right. I have found a, this, this rare instance, Jared, where I'm finding myself aligned with of all people, Donald Trump. Yeah, that's, that's a scary thought. Um, <laughs> I, I will say like on the union question though, this is um, like in a, to me, this is a really important inflection point in the Republican Party right now is sort of like, how do they approach both this strike, but unions in general, right? There's this, you've seen senators like J.D. Vance kind of embrace um, those who are, are striking. Of course, Donald Trump like attempted to kind of go on the picket line here. Um, and that's very different from what the sort of like Reagan, I mean, the last 60, 70 years, the Republican approach to uh, especially public sector unions was like, they're the bad guys. They're the sort of voice for the progressive movement, um, at least the leadership, right? The workers are, are good, hardworking Americans. But um, that's a good policy question to have last night. And we got, who would you vote off the island? Well, I will say, oddly enough, I actually thought the debate got off to a good start. It, it, it lasted for one question, because I believe it was to Tim Scott, and they asked him that question. He said, well, that, that's a private company. That yeah. is not a public workers' union. That's a whole different situation. So you can't compare the air traffic controllers to the UAW. And, and of course, but this, if we can get into it for a moment, as far as another unword, I said unelectable and unlikable and unwatchable, but how about unprecedented? as far as the president of the United States going to the picket line and taking a side. Yeah. And this is this to me is a is a, an opportunity when you, first of all I if and when when Scott's back on maybe next week uh, this to me hints of some desperation on the part of the Biden campaign for him to feel like he has to break precedent. It's one thing for him to come out and say 
you know, fair wages and, and, and fair working conditions, and it's important that everyone shares in the, the profits of, of American capitalism. But instead, he goes all the way to the picket line and yeah. says, I endorse a 40% pay raise. I endorse being paid for five days' work for four, uh, for, for four days' work. This is... This is unprecedented. I, 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 and, and the idea now. So Tim Scott responded by by pointing out there's a difference between private companies and and public um, workers. But what does this say about Joe Biden's campaign that he feels like he has to do this? I think that's a great point. I mean, he he has been saying that he's going to be the most pro union president ever, and so it maybe it it stands to reason that he does something unprecedented like this. But it's interesting because he announced he was going to do that after Trump, right? was going to go support the the strike or you know whatever he did after multiple republican senators are out there uh either on the picket line or actively vocally supporting these people i think he hears footsteps behind him i mean at some level this is his base now, usually it's the union leadership mm -hmm. but if republicans can take the actual people on the ground the hard-working americans like jared said out of the democrat base that that's a real problem for them yeah, it is. Again, it's it's an interesting kind of inflection point for the Republican Party. There's been, um, uh, gosh, I forgot who wrote, but in, in National Review, but there's been some some good pieces on this of sort of like how do Republicans approach this because they've made themselves the party of the sort of white working class and have left college educated and even in some cases uh, business owners behind, not maybe intentionally, but um, and so I do think Biden probably hear some footsteps of people who are sympathetic to these things, especially, especially when you consider the fact that a lot of these people probably feel that they need these raises because of Bidenomics, right? Like it's not as though the economy is, is great and we've had Republican control for all these years and these people are showing up to strike and we're like, eh, crap, what we, like, what do we do wrong here, guys? We've had, you know, historic inflation under Joe Biden. Of course, he's essentially taken credit for this and, uh, you know, been sort of proud of it. And now these people are saying, well, look, we've had 40 year high inflation. My wages are stagnant. I need something to change. And I think Republicans are sort of like, yeah, I agree. Now we might not have the same route to get there for it. Uh, but I think this sense that like, Hey, we're, or the average American is hurting. They're hurting because of Joe Biden's policies, period, point blank, like stop, end of sentence. Let's get on board with these people. Like, let's get in line with them. And we may not like that their leadership has given 98% of donations to Democrats in the last 70 years. We don't love that. But you know what? If Biden's going to go there and act all like, you know, shake hands and kiss babies at these rallies, like, let's tell them why they're hurting. And so I, I think it's an interesting you know, uh, again, Trump <laughs> for again, his attempt to sort of like be pro union and go to a non-union shop. And there's a, there's a great, great quote. I sent this to Kevin. I, I got to pull this up because, um, at the rally, uh, there was a couple of uh, folks there who, who were interviewed about, yeah, you know, like why they were there. Uh, and, uh, this is from this story. One individual in the crowd held up a sign that said, quote, union members for Trump but acknowledged that she wasn't a union member. <laughs> well, yeah. Another person had a sign that read auto workers for Trump. And uh, he also said he wasn't an auto worker. <laughs> so again, the, the Trump always makes these things sort of about himself. But 
I do think this this moment is an interesting moment for the Republican Party and their sort of approach to handling unions, private and public sector unions. I've covered plenty of campaigns as a political reporter and have recognized the fact that many people who are holding the signs have nothing to do. They, they, they were handed the sign on the way in. I mean, yes, yeah. It's a pretty common practice among a lot of campaigns. I'm not excusing it. But I'm, you know, I, I would just hope that the same reporter who pointed out that the people holding the signs don't resemble the remarks on the signs would have the same kind of of uh, scrutiny when it comes to other candidates and other races because it's a pretty common practice, mm-hmm. um, un- unfortunately. I, but it's, but the other thing is though about Trump and and unions, I don't put anything past him in terms of his ability to be able to. I mean, who would have thought that the Republican Party after the Mitt Romney. Uh, campaign against uh, Barack Obama would have would become the party of the of the blue collar worker who would have thought that the, yeah. the, the the best predictor of voting Democrat was a college degree I mean these are these are things that have moved pretty seismically in a pretty short period of time you know since in like two election cycles so I, I wouldn't pit I, I think there's a lot of uh, of Trump supporters among auto workers they can't say it out loud. They can't say it on the picket line. I mean, they, uh, Sean Fain of the UAW wouldn't say that, but that's because that is a that's like Randy Weingarten. I think there's a lot of teachers who are who would vote Republican, but they can't say it out loud because their their, their union would slap them down. So I, I think there is some room there for you know for, for a variety of of support, Jared. Yeah, union membership has always been kind of split. Um, even within like the ones we think, like uh, even teachers unions, it, it tends to split it you know 60 40 sometimes uh in some states republican democrat um and so the actual people there's republicans there um they've just always been uh fine with their dues again consistently for the last 50 years you know going to like 98 percent democrats if republicans can seize on this moment not of course because of the sort of inflation and bidenomics stuff but also for auto workers specifically being like hey your leadership gave a lot of money to this guy and he wants to turn this plant into an ev plant and that means less jobs less hours manufacturing being moved overseas you know cheaper parts means cheaper labor for you and again to say like your leadership gave this guy all of this money it's maybe it's time to sort of like rethink where your vote is going. Um, and that, again, that doesn't discredit the importance or the significance of, of a union for those people in, you know, helping to get them healthcare and wages and vacation days, whatever they, they may want. But I mean, we've seen this movie before. I, I mean, it was the United Mine Workers who endorsed Hillary Clinton. I mean, for a long time, it's these, yeah. these unions have been, the, the leadership has been one side, the the rank and file, the people actually doing the hard work have, have been voting for the Republicans. So I, I think this might just be a, uh, a a natural cycle that that's, that's coming to completion. But I do want to just interject here, Joe, I don't think I've ever heard you be so positive on Donald Trump. I think the two of you now are singing from the same song sheet. Well, I'm just. It's, it's I'd like to hear the next verse. Everyone else is so bad. Yeah, that, that, that's 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 the country oh, is song. Not... Is just you all suck so much that I'm actually looking at somebody I hate. You know, that's 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 pretty much the end of it because th- th- there's no competence. There is. I I just don't see competence in the current president. I don't see competence in the former president. I don't see competence in any of the uh, potential candidates except perhaps the draft. Glenn Youngkin movement, which apparently is underway, the chattering class is saying in Washington, D.C. tonight. 
I don't think that could happen. I don't, I, I think that the filing deadlines, the the fundraising, the, the all the the machinery that you need, and and just to be able to get the signatures to even have a, a, a place in the primary wouldn't work. I think there's panic, and I can feel the panic in myself because I don't like any of them. Well. I don't like any of them last night. I I, I could like, change my mind if they had a chance to clear it. Frankly, uh, to your last point, Jared, about the way EVs are made and uh, and and the, the some of the facts of the the entire you know the, the system, the North Dakota governor had the best arguments for these things, but nobody knows who he is, and he has no chance. If if those words that he said were coming out of the mouth of any of the candidates who have a chance, I would have you can you kind of amalgamate all of them together, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, looking for um, a Yunkin savior would work, I think, if there wasn't a Donald Trump out there who's polling at the you know mid to upper forties. Unless already. unless he, unless he goes to prison, or unless he for some reason decides. I mean, could there ever be a plea deal? The part of it is you agree not to run for office again. You think you would agree to that? <laughs> Probably not, but I'm it's it's wishful thinking. But I mean, we talk about this. Sorry, this. Donald Trump fans. <laughs> I know that I I, I rub. Most listeners the wrong way when I say these things, but I just, it's it's just where I am. But Jared, I, I, I will say, look, look, I thought last night was underwhelming in in a, in a lot of ways, but I I do still find it. I don't know what his future is, but man, Ron DeSantis has done a lot of good things. He's he's not particularly exciting to watch or listen to. You know, it's it's he's not the most engaging. He's obviously the about the best retail salesman, retail politician. But every single time he is asked about something, he has this answer of like, yeah, these guys are talking about what they would do. I did it. And that's two debates in a row. He's sort of taken this strategy of, of at, trying to stay out of the fray, leaning into what he does well and saying those guys have ideas of what to do. I have done it. Um, and I, I, I think, I mean, I don't know if voters appreciate that, that sort of like sensible, you know, maybe more kind of like CEO type thing of like, we're just doing it. There's no, I'm not getting in tit for tats here. I've passed a law. I've signed the bill. We've, we have the records to show it. We have the data to show it. Um, and you know, part of what will be interesting about the Newsom DeSantis debate is like, hey, dude, why is everybody leaving your state for my state? I must be doing something right. Um, and so DeSantis always has that. He always has that card in his back pocket, whether it be on school choice, you know, the economy, crime, you name it, pro, the pro-life questions. He's like, I, I've done it. Um, again, I think he comes off kind of underwhelming at times, but maybe people are looking for that kind of pragmatic character. So I already have slammed everyone else in this equation, other than you guys, I think. And but I but I'll slam myself, and that is this: I'm discouraged by all the other people that are, that are running for president. But they had to, arguably, show up at that debate last night. They had to participate in that because that's the only place they have to be able to try to to show their their uh, bona fides or their 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 ability to to compete here. The problem is that one of the reasons why I don't like any of them anymore is because I don't like the format last night, I don't like the performance yeah. last night. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, if I I mean I like Nikki Haley. I like Tim Scott. I like Ron DeSantis. These are people who I think are competent people who have policy positions 
but they're, they, they were asked to compete in the lip syncing ice skating contest. And, you know, they, they're not good at those things. So my point being is I, I, I do wish that there was just an adult way for us to debate a presidential campaign rather than going through the, you know, X Factor American Idol, you know, Coliseum, as Scott put it, uh, contest that we had last night or, two, you know, Wednesday night. By the time you hear this, it's probably going to be two nights ago. Anyway, I'm, I'm discouraged by it all. But if, if, if there is a, a third lane, it would be let's all just leave the RNC way of doing this and go off on our own. The problem there, of course, is there's not only so much oxygen in the world and there's only so much, so much air time and who, who would be able to get the uh, the attention. Before we go, speaking of attention, Jared, I do want to bring up the uh, mm-hmm. the we, we are as we're recording this at 6.30 p.m. on September 28th. We are, I guess, two days away from the government shutdown, and it, it appears, Kevin, that there's not a, a, any kind of movement toward a compromise here. The Senate, the Senate appears ready to yeah. be adults and say, mm-hmm. "Let's figure something out because it's divided government." The House, Kevin McCarthy is doing his damnedest to try to hold up, you know, some, uh, you know, opportunity to be able to get people on the same page. But where do we stand now, and what's going to happen? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the the Senate is moving ahead. They they've brought up a, a bill. Seventy six senators are ready to move on it. Um, but that means there's a lot that aren't. And in the House, I think you gave Kevin McCarthy a lot of credit, but I he can only do so much at some point. And I, I think there are just enough people hell-bent on shut her down. Um, you know, the the I think I saw the fourth shutdown in a decade. Um, that at this point, I've been optimistic on this show all along for the last few weeks. I, I don't know if, if there's a place for optimism now, Thursday night. Um, you know, we've got just under 48 hours until the... the federal government partially shuts down um, and then they, they get to work of bringing it back. Jared. Yeah. If we're going to give Donald Trump a pass on this episode, we have to remind folks that Matt Gates is the worst. Um, <laughs> and it's not that there aren't le- legitimate gripes I see with certain aspects of the funding or that I don't sort of get some of the uh, more conservative members beefs with unlimited spending and, and just continuing to sort of like raise the debt and deficit and such. Uh, Matt Gates has no ideas and he just seems to be like picking fights with Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy that seem more personal at this point. The uh, you know, some of the, the, the quotes we're hearing from these caucus meetings, it doesn't seem like he's even trying, Matt Gates is even trying to do anything productive anymore. And McCarthy, you know, God bless him has gone through the ringer over these last few months and still, you know, sort of held things together. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm losing confidence, uh, that we won't hit a, a government shutdown, but again, Kevin McCarthy has, I mean, how many times have we counted this guy out in, in the last few months and, and seems to be able to kind of pull things from the dead. So, you know, funding the government by definition has to be a bipartisan exercise especially in the Senate with a filibuster that you need at least 60 votes to get anything done. So, and I think we saw this a lot during, during the fiscal cliff uh, budget or debt limit talks when everyone, you know, leading Democrats and leading Republicans are all kind of talking nice about each other. You know, there's a lot of progress happening in the background because they're not taking pot shots. I saw, you know, Joe Biden on his Twitter account is taking pot shots at Kevin McCarthy saying he's, he's doing things that rather save his speakership than help the American people. When, that, that's not helpful to the conversation, but I think it's indicative that there might not be a conversation happening at all. I do think that Democrats are uh, equally culpable in this situation because 
if you're unwilling to listen to any kind of concessions on 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 spending cuts, on some fiscal responsibility, I mean, now the question it becomes is like at what point do does does either party become fiscally responsible? There's been plenty of spending yeah. uh, on on both sides for yeah. years, and if you suddenly wake up and say, "But wait, you know, I, now it's now it's time for us to turn off the spigot," it's 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 not realistic. But I would just say from what Mitch McConnell has often said, which is that first of all, there's no political winners in a shutdown, and if what I would just to continue his logic, and I agree with it. And that is, if you truly believe, if you're a fiscal conservative, and you truly believe that something needs to be done to cut spending, you have to understand that a government shutdown is not going to win you any more support to elect the people that you think can get that done. Mm-hmm. So now, right. that that takes a long game perspective on this. It takes a chess mentality of saying, okay, I'm looking at the fourth move down rather than the first move. The first move is just to say... No, not in my backyard. You know, I'm I'm obstinate. I'm ideological. I'm not going to budge. And frankly, I used to be that way. I was far more of a recalcitrant. You know, uh, this is what I believe in, and I'm not going to sacrifice mm-hmm. my ideals. And you have to, you know, you, if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. I, I I understand all that that perspective on things, but then. You're around for a few years, and you see the way that things work. You might not like it, but if you want to actually affect change, then put yourself in a position where you're going to have some kind of influence down the road. If not, you'll be voted out of office, and then you'll just be shaking your fist at the sky rather than shaking your fist at the speaker chair. Yeah. Leader McConnell, to continue quoting him, uh, made another good point today that he said, yeah, we're all upset about the spending. We all want to cut it down, and we're all working on that every single day. Um, But shutting the government down, the first thing it's going to do is take, I think he said, about a billion dollars away from Border Patrol and ICE. So what what is the most conservative thing to do? Is it just uh, hem and haul about the budget, or is it to secure the southern border? Uh, because every one of those people who are going to vote to shut the government down, you know they're also out there talking about the crisis on the southern border, which they should be, which is right, which is something we should address. But shutting down the government is only going to hamper that. Yeah, it, it is a lot of posturing, to your point, Joe. Um, uh, you know, you hear this from legislators all the time that, like, when you go in with that sort of, like, you, if you die on every hill, well, then you're dead mentality. <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, good luck. You know, the, the people who have real relationships and um, again, like, you know, I think of Schumer and McConnell, who are, are certainly opposite on 90 percent of policy issues, but have a good working relationship. That is what matters on these sort of uh, important, you know, government critical things like funding the government. Right. <laughs> like it's it's literally like the one thing you guys have to do. Um and so, yeah, I think the sort of posturing again—it's—it's it's clear that that's what it is, and it's become more personal for Gates than and his kind of ilk than anything, um, which is not helpful. I, I will say, I, I saw one thing right before we started recording about the shutdown, and there, there's nothing funny about a government shutdown, but it made me laugh a little bit that the House Ethics Committee sent a letter to all members of the House and their staff about how they are to behave in a government shutdown and that some of the rules still apply that just because the government shutdown doesn't mean lobbyists can go start buying you expensive dinners and fur coats. <laughs> Seriously. And I thought yeah. that that's very smart of the ethics <laughs> committee because I'm sure there would be some, some house member who would, who would give that a go say it's all yeah. burnt down and the rules don't matter. <laughs> that's so great. It's like we're, we're in international waters. When- <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So at this point, this, this big game of chicken, 
uh, that the country is on with the House and, and McCarthy and Gates and whomever else. Uh, does Kevin McCarthy, is, this, is the speakership worth holding on to? At what point does he say, I'll, I'll call your bluff, either we're going to pass this or I resign? I mean, what, does that matter at all? If, if I mean, I know I'm, I'm just bringing up a hypothetical. It's not going to happen. But I just, I'm trying to figure out what stakes are here. If there is a shutdown, is he still the speaker anyway? I mean, he's been working for this his entire life. And I think you could make the argument or he could make the argument that, listen, we went through 15 rounds of voting for him to get in the speaker's chair. And there was never another candidate who even came close. Could anybody else be doing this right now? Could anybody have done better than he was? If there if there was somebody, then there's an argument for that. But, I mean, like we've said, Kevin McCarthy has pulled the rabbit out of the hat multiple times. This Congress, this Congress that's not even 10 months old. So is, is there anybody better? If not, then no, I think he has to— This reminds me of my St. Louis Cardinals baseball season where it's all was built upon the, 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 uh, the best— possible outcomes. In other words, it was none of this had any kind of contingency plans built in place. Everyone had to perform at peak and then get lucky. Yeah. And it's, and at a certain point, your luck runs out. And I, I, I sh- know where we were going to be with this. Yes, Jared. I should have pulled it up. I don't know what the number is, but the Yankees, Red Sox, and Cardinals have missed the playoffs for the first time in like... Yeah, it's a th- I think 30 years is the first time that, that, yeah. I think that the, neither of none of the three of them have been uh, yeah. in there. Hey, but, is- but before we go, guys, I do want to talk about some Kentucky politics, if, if mm-hmm. we can here. Uh, first of all, um, a lot of ads out there. There's one ad that I saw, and I just saw it literally uh, before we walked in here, that there is a Andy Bashir ad where the voter is saying, I was a Trump voter, and now I'm going to vote for Andy Bashir. Have you seen this? Yes. Yeah, this is— I think is... it's the second time he's tried this that, you know, I usually yeah. vote Republican, but now I'm with Andy. But Trump is a whole different story. Trump is a different story. Uh, is, is, there, is, is there a Venn diagram of, of Donald Trump— Voters and Andy Bashir voters? Well, I think it, I mean, it's a smart attempt on Andy Bashir's part because Donald Trump remains historically popular in Kentucky. While every other Democrat is running around the country bashing him and trying to tie every Republican to him, Donald Trump has not been a big factor in this general election so far. He was in the primary, not so much in the mm-hmm. general election. So I think it was a strategic decision by the Bashir campaign not to attack Daniel Cameron on Trump. In fact, now he's trying to be Trump like himself. Uh, but that, you know, honestly doesn't hold water. And there, there are other problems with that ad too. He says, uh, or that this voter says that Andy Bashir um, cut our, cut our income taxes, mm. which is laughable on its face. And he's even getting called out by Stephen Voss at the university of Kentucky. Andy Bashir vetoed the mechanism that is letting our income taxes be cut. Mm. So the fact that he's out there campaigning on cutting the income tax is, deceptive lying wrong and it's no. a real mistake um well just the, just to be clear did any bashir do anything to affect the income tax being to, being lowered so he th- this year he signed a bill the second time he was presented with one he signed a bill to cut the income tax again but he vetoed the original mechanism that is letting the personal income tax come down which basically is and, and i think most people who listen to the podcast know this but if you're from out of state is that there's a certain um budgetary uh, 
trigger revenue, as, as revenue you put trigger, it, yes. That, yeah. you, that you have to have a certain surplus and, and have enough money to say, okay, once that's in place, we're going to decrease the income tax in Kentucky by a half percent year over year over year to the point where ultimately the goal is to come to get to zero. Right. And just, yeah. But you're gradating it down rather than doing it all at once. Right. Get to zero, which is something Daniel Cameron has been extremely out front on. He says, I will be the governor that gets the income tax down to zero. And, you know, Bashir, Hems, and Haas, I think he's trying to take that point away oh. from Daniel, but it just doesn't pass the smell test. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna give you my conspiracy theory here. I don't even think I believe Please my do. own oh, conspiracy yes. theory. Please yes. do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Andy Bashir's campaign is trying to goad Donald Trump to come to Kentucky for Daniel Cameron because that would just be more chaos. Because what, what happened when Donald Trump came from Matt Bevan was that all it do, did was it stirred up uh, voters in Fayette County and Lexington where he appeared to, uh, to, to link Trump with Bevan. And then, and, and of course, it's a primarily pro Bashir Democrat county. So all you're doing there is you're, and if Donald Trump would come, so if Trump would come to Kentucky, what would he do? I think he would be at one of the major media markets. I think it would be mainly having the same effect of getting the Louisville. Let's say it's the Louisville. You get the Louisville people to you know to see this. Where Andy Bashir, I think most people would agree that Andy Bashir will win Jefferson County. You know, against Daniel Cameron. I, <laughs> most people, you guys, I understand why you don't want to admit that, but but I I think it's look at voter registration and look at you know past uh, performance that will happen. So why would you do anything at all to stir up the people who are most motivated right now? I think are the anti-Trumpers versus the pro-Trumpers. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing I think for, for chaos is that I think that uh, Andy Bashir knows that that Daniel Cameron is in a tough spot with Donald Trump. Um, and Mitch McConnell. So I think there would be a situation there where Trump wouldn't be able to help himself, you know, when he comes to Kentucky and say, say some bad things. So I think this is, a, this is my conspiracy theory is the Bashir campaign. They want Donald Trump to come to Kentucky. I, I will reject your conspiracy theory That's fine. Me because I love a good conspiracy theory, but, but partially because I kind of reject the premise that Trump had a lot of impact on Bevin. Bevin was historically unpopular, period, going into that election. And I believe that appearance was two days before the actual election. It so was how voter much- turnout, man. It was, it was, it, they had everything. I think it, when, when you factor in that, and of course, I agree with you. I think Bevin sabotaged his own campaign, by yeah. the way, campaigned and by promising tolls in, uh, in Cincinnati and, and Northern Kentucky and, and uh, deliberately trying to upset teachers, even though his policies weren't that bad in that regard. All that said, when Andy Bashir beats Matt Bevin by 5,000 votes, I have to believe that, uh, that all these things, there, there, there was a lot of dominoes stacked up there, and one of them was Donald Trump. Yeah, before I, I also want to say this this ad really back, back to the ad, me. Yes, I'll, yes, yeah, yes. I'll I'll uh, uh, save my actual words because I hate when when they do this these sorts of things and we've seen this over the last couple of weeks with the Bashir campaign. Not only did Andy Bashir veto the income tax plan, but at the exact same time he put his own tax plan proposal forward. And you might be thinking, hmm, did he also want to cut the income tax in that proposal? No. His proposal was to cut the sales tax by a penny. So this guy not only has not only did he veto that, he has never been in favor of reducing the state's income tax to zero until it's politically inconvenient. That's it. 
That's it. He never, when they came out with that plan, it was, it was parade of horribles, just like every other state. And now it's, well, actually, Andy cut the income tax. It is, it's not only is it misleading if Andy Bashir, if you could take, you know, 2020, 2019, Andy Bashir would vehemently reject a plan that got the state down to 0% income tax because they always claim these parades of horribles when that happens. And instead his was his plan, which he was very public about was to cut the, the sales tax by a penny or 1% essentially. And that's a nonsense plan. And now all of a sudden it's the, he's the guy who's getting us. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's the most revisionist history. It's, it's so annoying for a state that is working so hard to do this, that is doing the right things. And this guy just comes along. He's like, Oh, that sounds like a good thing. Maybe I should take credit for that. It's like, shut that frick up. It, <laughs> well, man, the, uh... it just, that stuff drives me up a wall. Like if you believe in something, whatever, you don't think we should cut the income tax. I don't care. You're wrong, but then don't get, go claim credit and change the plan that you had two years ago. It's insane. I've already been characterized as a boomer, and I think that I've talked about shaking my fist at the sky. So I understand that, you know, we can all complain about this. But the, the issue is, if, in fact, any politician says something or their campaign says something which is certifiably false, then it's incumbent upon the, the people who, who track these campaigns and who cover them for a living to point these things out. Um, now, I still am hopeful that uh, there will be a question, as I pointed out in the last podcast, about uh, how the current governor would vote on uh, whether or not he would sign a bill that would, um, th- as as was presented to Daniel Cameron about abortion and and having the exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother, would he would he sign that bill? The same question posed to Daniel Cameron, and then the other question would be then for a reporter, if there's any reporters who are interested in in what seems what appears what what you're talking about here, guys, is a fairly uh, easily disprovable you know, argument being made in the ad to come out and say, this is not true. Now, I don't know. To his credit, I, I will say Austin Horn of the yeah. Herald Leader did say just that. He called the line misleading. He pointed out the, I mean, he didn't go as far as we did, but he he, he called yeah. out the mm-hmm. issues with the ad. So um, good job, Austin, out there. You get the, the prize for the week. There you have it. Guys, it's uh, it's about that time. Any, any scenes, reds, or herds on this uh, midweek End of the week podcast. Yeah, up, update. More Halloween decorations are going up in my neighborhood, and uh, you guys know how I feel about that. Um, actually, my kids love it. Uh, my, my scene, we, uh, the, the wife and I have been watching Only Murders in the Building on oh, yeah. Hulu. There's, oh, yes, there's one yeah. episode left in the season. Uh, Is there a new season week. out? There's nine episodes of a new season out. There's one more coming out. I next did not week. know that. I well, didn't... binge it, and then we can talk Tuesday night after right. we watch it. Yeah. Um, we've been very much enjoying it and uh, looking forward to it. Wrapping up next week. Who's your favorite character on that show? Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Okay. What was his character's name again that he played? Charles Hayden Savage. And the character he played on TV? The, the What character did Charles Hayden Savage oh, play on Brazos. TV? Brazos. Brazos, the detective. Okay. All right, Jerry. I have watched it, but it's been like a year or two. Right. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's a second Red Sox reference of the night, if you're keeping track at home. Uh, kind of a bizarre story out of uh, Boston sports this week. Um, Kurt Schilling. Obviously, you know, famous uh, MLB pitcher on his podcast announced that um, Tim Wakefield, the great Red Sox knuckleball pitcher, um, had uh, brain cancer, has brain cancer, has been diagnosed. And um, obviously, in, incredibly sad. And so I, I first want to say, Tim, Tim Wakefield, if you grew up in the New England area as a kid, 
watching him for, I think what was 17 years throw that knuckleball. Every kid who grew up playing little league and, and high school baseball tried to learn how to throw a knuckleball because of Tim Wakefield. Um, obviously a legendary pitcher, uh, uh, incredible philanthropist in the community, uh, did a lot with the Jimmy fund, which raises money for uh, kids with cancer, uh, in the Boston area. And so just like an incredible athlete, incredible, you know, uh, you know, per, you know, person on and off the field multiple time uh, was uh, nominated for the Roberto Clemente Award. Really, really great guy. Um, and so just wanted to kind of give some good thoughts to Tim Wakefield. His family has now asked for some privacy. They apparently didn't want this story out there. And, you know, Kurt Schilling's not the best guy. So kind of, I guess, did it um, without you know, their permission. So it's become sort of a strange story, but uh, I just, you know, Tim Wakefield, there's very few knuckleballers who have really made it in the MLB. And so he was incredibly fun to watch as a, as a kid. And um, again, a a huge part of the community uh, did a lot of good. And so just, just hoping well for Tim Wakefield and his family. um, Somebody I kind of looked up to as a kid who played baseball. So hoping he's okay, but if their family wants privacy, hopefully they get it um, in this, in this tough time. Baseball reference for me from my team Red Herd as well. A report out on this uh, September 28th that Major League Baseball attendance this year surpassed 70 million fans for the first time in six years. Certainly they had a big hit during the pandemic. Uh, And this is the area where um, I'm a purist when it comes to baseball rules. Uh, I didn't like the idea of having to go to a pitch clock because I was was concerned that it was going to become sort of like the – the field goal, uh, you know, the, the clock behind the field goal, or the, or the, you know, during the NFL games, it has not been as much of a, of a distraction as what I feared, and since it took this for Major League Baseball players to stop, you know, pussyfooting around and 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 with their gloves and their adjustments and whatever else they're touching and to to get themselves into position to be able to bat, I I'll, I'll say that I was wrong. Wait, you can't do this with Scott not here. This was one of your biggest <laughs> fights. He published a column in the LA Times, I think, just to tell you you're wrong for this. You can't admit you were wrong when him he's not even on the podcast. So for Jared, <laughs> for Kevin, and for Scott, I'm Joe. This has been Flyover Country. Well, I don't know where. It's with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.